I'd like to uh, show you a picture of an animal, and I wonder whether this, um, this animal describes anybody we know. Does it bring to mind anybody we know? Or, or does, it describe, does it describe us today just a bit, well, you know, sluggish, slow-moving, inactive, lacking energy and alertness? I see some yawning even as I say that. Slow to respond or make progress. The teen with the deaf ear to the question about homework. The person frightened to make a relationship commitment. Uh, the spouse who doesn't want to listen. The inefficient worker with the creative excuses. I wonder, does it describe us in our spiritual state? If truth be told... Have we become lazy in our Christian lives? Now, if there's any possibility of this describing us in any way, we need to pay attention this morning to what God has to say to us through the book of Hebrews. And so please open up your Bibles to uh, page 1204, uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, and you'll find that on page 1204 in the church Bibles. I'm going to read it, but I want to warn you that um, as I read it, the author sees spiritual laziness as such a big problem that he writes to shock the spiritually sluggish into action. So let me read this section. Chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. 
land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burnt. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that when you have hope, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This is God's word. Keep it open in front of you. Now, one of the fears of a preacher and a teacher is that you so overcomplicate the topic uh, that you lose people and that all they end up basically hearing is blah, 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 and they sort of tune out as they yawn in the pew. This is one of your, your scary thoughts as a preacher. And the writer to the, uh, uh, of this letter is concerned that his teaching was not cutting through and being hurt. At the start of December, we looked at the section before this. So let me just remind you, it was a little while back, wasn't it? Look back at chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. They need to know that in Jesus, they had a great high priest that he should never let go of. And if you missed that Sunday, then, you know, go to the website. You can listen to an MP3. You can even watch a, a video of the service. And, and in it, I, I explained how we all need a great high priest. We need someone who can intercede and be a go-between uh, between us and, and God. And he started explaining to uh, these Christians that he was writing to uh, how Jesus could be a genuine high priest, even though he wasn't descended from a particular tribe in, in Israel that sort of produced the high priests. That Jesus came from a different order of high priests. Uh, take a look at chapter 5 and verse 6. And he says in another place, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Or look at verse 8 of chapter 5. Son though he was... He learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And if you look forward to where he goes next after this section, look at chapter 6, verse 20, uh, talking of Jesus, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And in chapter 7, you can see the heading. It's all about Melchizedek, the high priest. This Melchizedek is a big deal, right? But even as he's teaching about this, um, 
he's fearing that he's losing his hearers. And even as I've kept saying Melchizedek, maybe your brain's starting to fuzz over a little bit. And so uh, the, the fear that he has is that you're just hearing blah, 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 blah. And so he breaks into this teaching about Jesus being a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek with this section here because he's, he's, he wants them to consider the, the state of their souls, the health of their souls. And I've got three points for us to consider this morning. The first point is this. Lazy listeners man up. That's my first point from chapter 5, verse 11 to the 6, verse 3. Lazy listeners man up. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. They've become sluggish in their hearing, lazy about understanding the message. And it's not so much that the content is hard, it's just that the consequences are too challenging. Like the family members who turn a deaf ear when the lady of the house calls out, can someone take the bins out? And everyone sort of just hunkers down on the sofa pretending that they didn't quite hear what was said. All the discomfort of stopping what you're doing, you know, watching that TV show and, and leaving the comfort of your house and going out into the cold where people just hunker down. They don't want to hear because the consequences are a bit unpleasant. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. And this is the fear of the writer to this church that he's seeking to pastor through this letter. It's as if the church actually doesn't want to fully understand and hear the message about Jesus. Because the consequences of taking this message about Jesus seriously is going to make, it's going to make life more uncomfortable. It's going to make life more challenging. I mean, they were facing hardships and persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. And they were being tempted to turn back to their Jewish faith where life would be a lot easier, a lot less stressful. And I have to say that I've actually seen this happen here at Charlotte Chapel. People showing an initial excitement and enthusiasm about hearing the gospel. Uh, and there's a phase where they, they love to learn, but then they start to back away. Perhaps you've had this experience yourself. You've, you've seen it yourself. They stop coming to church. Uh, they stop attending the Bible class. They don't want to meet up with you to read the Bible anymore. Now, why is it? Perhaps it's because it, 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 it begins to dawn on them. Just go back a slide, will you, David? Because it begins to dawn on them that if they take this more seriously, it's going to challenge the way that they've liked to think about things. It's going to challenge some of the ways that they're living their life, and they don't want to make those changes. And it dawns on them that if they dig more into what the Bible has to say, if they listen more to Jesus, things will change and, and they just start backing away. They don't want to be out of step with 
friends and family who, who don't follow Jesus. Tim Farron, the former Liberal Democrat Party leader, uh, put it well about the state of Britain today in, in a recent interview to uh, Premier Christian Radio. He said this, We're in the situation now where the absence of faith is considered to be neutral. Holding of faith is considered to be eccentric and tolerable, even a little bit charming, so long as it doesn't actually affect your worldview. The minute it begins to affect your worldview and is not merely cultural, that's problematic. And we're sensing that's the case, isn't it? And so the temptation is just to be a bit sluggish about listening to the Bible, to become lazy, to stick with the absolute minimum basics of the Christian faith, and just to keep our heads down so that we won't face the disapproval of the culture around us. But the writer of the Hebrews warns it's a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of stunted spiritual growth. Look at verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There's obviously not a problem about being a baby when you are a baby. And babies can only drink milk. Um, there's no problem being taught the ABCs when you're in preschool as a young child. But there's something obviously wrong when you've been a Christian for decades and you still haven't progressed beyond the basics. And they should have progressed to be teaching others about the Christian faith, but they're still in effect back in school, sort of learning the ABCs. They should have grown up to eat adult food, but they, they just haven't seemed to progress beyond the baby milk. And of course, these analogies are there to stir them to a response. Tell your teenager to stop acting like a baby and look at the indignancy that may start getting them moving. And that's what he urges them to do in, in chapter 6, verse 1. It's time to grow up. It's time to man up. Move on to maturity. 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Now, there's a, there's a recognition here that spiritual growth can only happen by God's grace. You need to be taken forward. But there's also stress the key part that we play in deciding to take the active steps towards maturity. Spiritual maturity is not automatic. You have to choose to move on, to move forward to maturity. And if you look back at chapter 5, verse 14, solid food is, not, is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, as we consume God's word, continue to do what it says, we actually train ourselves to pursue what's good for our souls and avoid what's morally wrong and harmful to our souls. And the maturing life um, is one that makes active choices 
to hear God's word, to, to read it, to study it, to understand it, to trust it, and obey God. It's great at the start to get the Christian foundations. In fact, this very week uh, on Wednesday, we're starting a Just for Starters growth group because we want to help people be grounded in the basics. And uh, if you're interested in that, just let me know at the end or email the office. And we're going to go over the core uh, ABCs of the Christian faith. Really important you get those in place, those foundations in place at the very beginning. And in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we get a taster of what the Hebrew Christians were taught in their basic foundations. And there's six foundation stones in three pairs there. It starts off with repentance and faith in verse 1 of chapter 6. These are two sides of the same coin. Our first response to the good news about Jesus and our ongoing response to the gospel To repent is to turn away from the actions of of sin that lead to a guilty conscience, that that, that lead to spiritual death and eternal separation from God. We need to turn away from that. And then we turn actually towards faith in God, believing the promises about Jesus, believing what God says in his word, trusting him, a daily trust and dependence. Next pairing, he talks about the instruction about cleansing rites and the laying on of hands. Now, a lot of ink's been spilt on this. I haven't got time to get into it, but I think it refers to baptism and church membership. The original language uh, actually says teaching about baptisms. And there's a number of different baptisms described in the New Testament. The baptism of John that was preparing people for Jesus. The baptism of Jesus, which is pretty unique. And then Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible speaks about spirit baptism. And, and I, I think that probably in their early foundations class, they taught about that. They taught about what baptism meant in the Bible and about the importance, if you're trusting Christ, to be baptized. Baptism class this afternoon, funny enough. Amazing how that happened. So think about that if you've not been baptized. And we're going to cover that now just for starters, uh, Bible studies. We'll have one week on that. We'll also have another week about how you get recognized as a member in the church. And I think that's what's going on with the laying on of hands. In the New Testament, uh, it speaks of commissioning gospel workers like Timothy, the laying on of hands on Timothy. It speaks of extending the right hand of fellowship uh, to welcome and recognize people as genuinely part of, of the church. And I think that this is the most likely thing that it refers to. People have some different opinions, so I wouldn't die on a hill for it. But I think it's about welcoming people into church fellowship as members. And then the final pairing, teaching about the resurrection of the dead, it speaks of in verse 2 of chapter 6, and eternal judgment. These two interlinked aspects of the end of history. This is where all of history is heading. Resurrection day when all who've ever lived will be raised to stand before God's judgment throne and have to give an account for their lives. Hebrews 9.27 is going to tell us, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. A very scary reality if your sins have not been forgiven. And if that's you, I've got great news. Your sins can be forgiven today. Come and talk to me. I'd love to share with you how your sins can be forgiven today. You've never trusted Christ. But that day of judgment means that there is a day of final accountability. There is a day where justice will be seen to be done. 
Injustice will not continue forever. And our lives matter. What we do with our lives matter because of that judgment day. It's a very significant doctrine. Well, these are the basics. These are the core. And um, they've already heard this. And he says to them, you know, I'm not going to lay another foundation. I mean, you only generally have one foundation in a building. There's no point going laying another foundation. He's not going to do that. But he's, he wants to encourage them to build on it. And uh, God willing, that's what he wants to do with them. But he's urging them, lazy listeners, man up, grow up, move forward, move from the milk to the meat, build on the foundations. Now, why is this important? Why is this so important? Well, because not wanting to understand more about Jesus... Not wanting to listen to God's word is a very worrying sign that spiritually all is not well. It's perhaps the evidence that we're wandering off the safe path and the writer wants to warn them that there is a very scary cliff edge. And that's what the next section is. And he tells them, beware of walking away in verses 4 to 8 of chapter 6. These are a real warning, I believe. Now, there are many verses in the Bible that teach us about how Jesus will never let us go and the eternal security of the Christian. So for um, Jesus says in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And we take great comfort from that. But alongside those verses, we have these other verses that are a warning about those who deliberately despise God's gifts, who reject God's Son, and that they will forfeit God's blessing. Now, we just teach through the Bible so we get the balance of the Bible, and this week it's a warning passage that we have to listen to. You see, for such a person who despises the gifts of God, who rejects God's Son and forfeit God's blessing, it is impossible for them to be renewed to repentance, the writer of the Hebrews warns. And here's the scary possibility, that it's possible to, be, to begin to experience some of the blessings of God's good gifts in your life. Uh, as it says in verse 4, to have been enlightened, to begin to understand the gospel, to begin to experience the joy of, of God speak to you through the Bible. It's possible to, to begin to see light breaking into the darkness of our lives from his words. It's possible to get a taste of how enriching it is to have an experience of being in the presence of God, of seeing a difference it makes when God's involved in people's lives. 
to see the blessings of church life, to see uh, other Christians in relationship with him and who have God's Holy Spirit, to be in a church where God's Holy Spirit is evident and to see the difference that being born again makes and, and, and to have a taste of how it's transforming people's lives and you're seeing something of, of what is to come, the future that's to come. It's possible to, to get a taste of the rationality and, and sanity and the joy of building your life on God's word and yet walk away from all of it. We can experience God's good gifts, and yet we can come to a place where we despise them and continue on to reject God's Son. That's what it says in these verses. Uh, verse 6 talks about crucifying again for themselves the Son of God, holding him up to public shame. And I want to say to those with anxious and faint hearts this morning, notice how determined this rejection of Jesus is. Crucifying him again. Holding him up to public shame. This is not about a person who struggles to read their Bible from time to time. This is not somebody who struggles to get to church every now and again or who wrestles with anxiety and doubt. It is a determined and settled rejection of Jesus as the Son of God. And in the most violent way, as if you were taking the nails and hammering them back in to Jesus' hands and feet and sticking him up on the cross for mocking and ridicule, it is very determined, very violent language to mock the very one that once used to sing songs of praise to. And this is the end point of hardening our hearts against the Lord Jesus Christ and stopping our ears to his words. And if we persist in living in a state of rejection, there's no way back to repentance and salvation. That's what the writer warns us about. It seems that somewhere down this path of hardening and rejection, there comes a point of no return, return where we just fall off the cliff and there's no way back. We forfeit any of God's blessings in our life. Verses 7 and 8 give us this analogy of uh, two types of land. They both receive God's gracious blessing of gospel rain. One type of soil produces a useful crop, and it's a life that is blessed by God. And yet the other, which also receives exactly the same grace of God's reign on, on it, produces only thorns and thistles. And such a land is in danger of being cursed and only fit for burning. I want to comfort those who are anxious. But I do want to prod those who might be too comfortable in their steady hardening. This is very serious. I do get asked from time to time, can Christians fall away? And the answer to the Bible is this, don't. Don't. 
Um, others ask, how, how far down this path of deliberately despising God's gift and rejecting God's son before you forfeit God's blessing and salvation forever? How, how far down that path can you go? And the answer is, don't go down the path. Don't harden your heart. Don't play games. I take it that the warnings of Hebrews are real and genuine. And that those who are genuine Christians will actually listen to these warnings and stay well clear of the cliff edge. And stay on the path. Now after such scary warnings, like a good pastor, he turns to reassure them and, to, and, and he urges them, look, I want you to persevere to your promised inheritance. Look at verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God's not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown in him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. I was speaking um, to a good friend uh, a few weeks ago who struggles at times with great anxiety and depression and he was in the darkest of places. It, it broke my heart just to talk to him on the phone. And he was in that place where he was just despairing about whether he was ever a genuine Christian. And I think verse 10 is very helpful because I assured him that I was in no doubt about his salvation. I could think of so many ways that he had shown his love for God in the way he'd loved and worked for the good of God's people, evidencing the, the work of God in his life. Isn't this a beautiful thing? We actually show our love for God by loving each other well. And the fact that we love God's people shows that the love of God really is in us. The Christians that he was writing to had in times past loved and cared for those who were imprisoned for their faith and, and done many other things like that. And so he can write them and, and, and say, look, dear friends, I'm convinced of the genuineness of your faith and I'm trusting for better things in your case, better things that relate to salvation. But he does write because he, he's spurring the sluggish onwards. He, he wants them to be more diligent in how they follow Christ. He doesn't want them to be lazy. Instead, he says, imitate those older Christians who, um, who persevered throughout their lives, believing the promises of God towards their inheritance right to the end. And really, the... Verse um, 12 anticipates the whole of chapter 11 that's coming where we're going to get this amazing account of the great saints of old who believed the promises of God against all challenges and difficulties and persevered in their faith 
until the end. And, and this, this verse anticipates that chapter. And then it goes into chapter 12 because it points us to the ultimate place that we are to look to for persevering faithfulness. In chapter 12, it says this, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. My friends today here at Charlotte Chapel, don't be spiritually sluggish. Lazy listeners, man up. Beware of walking away. Persevere to your promised inheritance. We're kind of out of time. But I want us to respond uh, to God's word with a wonderful old hymn this 